almost no one spoke a single word about what I should and shouldn't eat. A few days later, my primary care physician calls me to tell me the results. And those were all questions that no medical professionals ever attempted to give me answers to. Welcome to episode three of Sludge, an American healthcare story. The story of how the healthcare system in the United States is just as diseased as the countless Americans that it neglects on a daily basis. I'm Caitlin Durante, and joining me, as always, in the telling of the Sludge story is my friend, my pal, my partner in Sludge, Sammy Junio. Hi. Super callous sludge holistic expialis sludge <laughs> Thank you for that. You're welcome. That was beautiful. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, just so good. Just really great. Um, <laughs> things are wonderful. To recap what has happened so far, one day I experienced horrible abdominal pain. I went to the ER where I was told that I, quote, probably have sludge in my gallbladder. I had to go to my primary care physician to get a referral to see a gastrointestinal doctor. But before I could see this specialist, I first had to get an ultrasound. So let me start this episode by addressing how I had been feeling during these few weeks between the initial sludge attack and the various appointments I was going to. I was generally feeling okay. There were a few days where I clearly ate something that like stirred up my sludge and I would feel some mild to moderate pain in my abdomen. But luckily it was nothing that was close to the pain that I felt during my sludge attack, which happened on May 11th. Sammy, you and I saw each other a bunch during this time. How how did I seem? Frail. Weak. Frail? <laughs> you you answered the door covered in a blanket most uh, times. Sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, you yeah. shook a lot. <laughs> and whisper. You only whispered, too. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, wow. um, I don't have much memory of that. <laughs> I, I guess I was... That's how weak you were. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> No, I feel I was doing okay, right? I might have been. Yeah, you were fine. Yeah, um, but like you were definitely were like a little bit more gentle with yourself, like because I'm always ripping and tearing around. Yeah, you really are ripping and tearing. But <laughs> I like noticed that you were just like kind of ginger, mm. gingerly Aww, walking around. <laughs> I was also scared to eat. Yeah, you were definitely scared to eat. <laughs> yeah, because I I was like, well, clearly that turkey leg triggered the sludge attack so what can I eat what should I not eat I did adjust my diet a bit in the weeks that followed the sludge attack based on some recommendations that I found on the internet I know what you're thinking the internet but Caitlin surely at least one of the medical professionals you've recently been in contact with gave you some sound medical advice no (laughs) they hadn't Not really. Like the nurse at the ER told me to drink Gatorade, but that was it from her. The ER doctor didn't say anything to me about what food I should and shouldn't eat, which I found to be odd considering there seemed to be something wrong with my digestive tract and what goes into your digestive tract is food. And I can't be certain, I'm no doctor, but I have a feeling that the type of food you put in your digestive tract affects 
your digestive tract. No. I know. A wild notion. I uh, Again, I'm no scientist, but I have a feeling this might be the case. Example, Taco Bell. Ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm familiar. It is notoriously something that when you put it in your digestive tract, it affects your digestive tract and all other food as well. So (laughs) it's just baffling to me that at the ER, no medical professionals gave me any advice about my diet. When I was looking at my discharge paperwork from the ER, I did find a little bit of advice. The discharge paperwork that I received said the following, Sammy, would you do the honors and and tell me what the discharge paperwork said in terms of uh, what I should be doing eating and lifestyle-wise? Do not drink alcohol. If instructed, avoid eating or drinking until nausea and vomiting go away. Try sipping clear liquids to prevent dehydration. When you begin eating again, start with small amounts. Have small, more frequent meals rather than larger meals. Low-fat meals are best. So that was the vague advice in my paperwork that I received from the hospital. Don't drink alcohol. Okay, that's clear. But low-fat meals? Okay, like how many grams of fat is the maximum amount that I can eat in a day, for example? And like some fats are supposedly good for you, like fats found in nuts and legumes olive oil. I take fish oil capsules. Like, can I eat that stuff? What is fat going to do to me if I eat it? Come to think of it, like, what's a gallstone? (laughs) What causes gallstones to form? What happens to a gallstone after I pass one? Does it just like float around in my body? Do I poop it out? Like, what even is a gallbladder? And what does that do? These were all questions which I felt were very reasonable to have that I had in the days and weeks that followed my ER visit. Those were all questions that I think a doctor could have easily answered in a few minutes time. And those were all questions that no medical professionals ever attempted to give me answers to. So operating under the assumption that I had sludge in my gallbladder, as had been speculated at the hospital, I start doing my own research to answer all these questions that I had. I come to learn that your gallbladder is a small organ below your liver that stores excess bile, which it secretes into your small intestine to help digest food. Gallstones are usually caused by too much cholesterol being in your bile. Some risk factors for having gallstones include genes and a family history of it, diet, age. Apparently, women are at higher risk or anyone who's got estrogen in their body. And speaking of, birth control can make gallstones more likely, which I take because I'm a modern woman. Gasp! I know. (laughs) I also learned that bile is what helps digest fat. So it stands to reason that the less fatty foods I consume, the less chance of another attack, and that some fats are worse for this condition than others. I think like the polysaturated fats and things like that put you at higher risk for sludge attacks. 
And yes, as you can see, I am capable of researching things on my own, but you would still think that at least one healthcare professional would tell me something specific, at the very least about my diet, and stress the importance of my diet considering my presumed medical condition. And you would think that a doctor would say something, especially because there's so much junk science on the internet about diets and nutrition. So you would think that they would want to inform me with actual sound medical advice rather than leaving me to my own devices to learn what might be absolute horrible garbage information and advice on the internet. But no! <laughs> Not the ER doctor, not my PCP, not doctors I would see later. Almost no one spoke a single word about what I should and shouldn't eat. I had to be my own advocate. I had to seek out all this information on my own. And this is only the beginning of the trend of doctors not telling me anything and communication being virtually non-existent. So... Where we leave off in the last episode was me setting an appointment to get an ultrasound to see whether or not I actually have gallstones or, to use proper medical terminology, sludge balls. <laughs> My ultrasound appointment was on June 3rd, 2019, and that went off without a hitch. Pretty much the only thing about this entire process that ever went smoothly. <laughs> a few days later, my PCP, my primary care physician, calls me to tell me the results. She confirms, based on my ultrasound, that I do indeed have several gallstones, aka sludge balls, and I have chronic inflammation of my gallbladder, aka my sludge pouch. <laughs> then, my PCP says she has already submitted an urgent request for an authorization for me to see a GI doctor or a gastrointestinal doctor and that I should call and make an appointment as soon as possible. So it's clear that my primary care physician feels this is an urgent thing that I should take care of immediately. Would you would you say that's fair to assess from, you know, her saying I've I've submitted an urgent request, call them immediately, get this taken care of immediately. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it's urgent. Oh, also, let me jump in here and say, yes. if you haven't Google image searched gallstones, oh, don't do it. <laughs> Just so you know what's happening and why she probably, the doctor did say that it was urgent. Like these things are oh, disgusting. Crazy. And that you have several, <sighs> like I know, I, I think that uh, most of the images that pop up when you do Google search sludge balls. Um, <laughs> Please make sure to Google image search, not gallstones, but sludge, sludge balls. <laughs> when you Google image search sludge balls, they what probably pops up are like mega cases. But even if you have like three or four, like you have to remember that the sludge pouch is a smaller. It's small. It's small. So like several could like fill up like three fourths. Do we know? I never even thought to investigate how big a sludge ball is. Are they like the size of they a vary. pea? Are they like the size of like a like a a piece of dice? What is that called? A die? A, die? <laughs> yeah. a piece of dice? A, a slice of die? A slice of dice. Um, I think that the sizes vary. Okay. So I don't know how big my sludge balls were. No. But they were big enough to, again, cause the most excruciating pain of my entire life right. when I passed them. So, Okay. 
Picking back up where we left off, my PCP was stressing the urgency of my medical situation, right? Now, in case you are not familiar with the healthcare, the insurance system in the U.S., or you're a millionaire who can afford great health insurance that doesn't require you to jump through a bunch of hoops every time you get sludge in your sludge pouch, the type of insurance I have, which again is an HMO, requires me to get an authorization from my primary care physician to see any specialists. In other words, I can't just pick any GI doctor and schedule an appointment with them. It has to be a doctor in my network. I have to be referred to that doctor by my PCP. And my insurance has to authorize it before I can even schedule an appointment to see a healthcare professional. I'm not sure how many types of insurance plans this is the case for. I think some more like premium rich people plans don't have as many hoops to jump through. But for me, I pretty much had no say in who I was referred to. I just had to see whoever my PCP decided to refer me to. And I had to wait around for the referrals and authorizations and all that stuff. All of this begs the question, why is this process so complicated? Why are there this many steps? I truly don't understand, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with capitalism and hating poor people. So if you, the listeners, have any information, any insight about this at all, please tell me. I'm desperate to know why our system is so complicated, who allowed this to happen, why it requires people to go through so many what feels like unnecessary steps, because even at this point in the story, I'm losing my mind and we're only at the beginning still. So anyway, I received the authorization to see a specific GI doctor from my primary care physician. I call this GI doctor. He does not have any availability until the end of September. Keep in mind that it's probably June 6th or 7th that I'm calling to schedule the appointment. And also keep in mind that my PCP was stressing the urgency of the matter, saying that this should all be taken care of immediately. But this GI doctor, the only one I can see at this point because he's the only one I have authorization to see, is not available for four months. But wait, Sammy, that's not all. No, stop. I can't. (laughs) My authorization to see this specific GI doctor expires at the end of August. Oh, my God. A month before his first available appointment. So what does that mean? So now I have to go back to my primary care physician to see if either one, I can get my authorization extended so that I can see him in late September, or preferably, this is option two, to see if my PCP can refer me to a different GI specialist who can see me sooner. I don't at this point know what, if any, options are available to me, but I go back to my PCP and let them know the situation. So then the referrals department of my PCP's office gives me a list of all the GI specialists in my network who they would have the ability to refer me to who would be covered under my insurance. So now 
it has become my responsibility to call each of these GI doctors. There are over 40 on the list to see which one can see me soonest. On one hand, great that there are a few dozen doctors that I could potentially see. This is the first and only time during this process where I ever felt like I was given any choice as to who I could see. So that's nice. (laughs) But calling 40 doctor's offices is also something I don't really have time to do. Again, I'm a modern working woman and I have a lot on my plate. <laughs> like, And just a reminder, I have friends and I need to like see those friends and hang out with them. So I don't have time to be calling all of these doctors, especially because my PCP was like, don't forget to take care of your sludge immediately. But I have no other choice. I have to make all these phone calls. The bottom line is, once again, I have to be my own advocate. And once again, I start doing my own research. I look up many of these doctors on the list. A lot of them have horrible reviews online. People saying like, this doctor sucks. Their staff is so rude and just awful to deal with. Don't ever go to this doctor. I would say the vast majority of these doctors have reviews like that. On top of that, a lot of them have offices that are very far away from where I live. A lot of them are also not available for months and months. So it seems like I'm not going to have any better luck than I had with the doctor who I was initially referred to who wasn't available until late September. And that's where I'll leave off for now. Stay tuned for more episodes of Sludge, an American healthcare story, because the saga continues, baby. My name is Caitlin Durante. You can follow me on social media at Caitlin Durante. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Sludge Podcast. You can email at sludgestorypodcast at gmail.com. And Sammy, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people follow you? I, I think I forgot to ask you this up till now. So please forgive me. I, but I in will. my defense, I have sludge. So it's okay. <laughs> I can't be responsible for my actions. Um, my most followable social media account is Instagram. So just follow me at it, your sludge, it <laughs> underscore your Y-O-U-R underscore S-A-M. Okay. So <laughs> S-A-M equals sludge. sludge. Very yep. good. Um, thank you so much for being my partner in sludge You're throughout welcome. this whole process and we'll be back for more see ya sludge free 2019 hashtag sludge life (laughs)